dull glow of a wicked and morose unreason urge in my bosom. I stoked all blackened at the fire, nor saw the vague mass of dead horse or cow, running trees and fields, and dark homestead and deep slumbering farm, flit ghostly athwart the murky air, as the half-blind saw men like trees walking. Long, however, it did not last. I could not have been twenty miles from Dover, when, on a long reach of straight lines, I made out before me a tarpaulined mass opposite a signal point. At once callousness changed to terror within me. But even as I plied the, plied the brake, I felt that it was too late. I rushed to the gangway to make a wild leap down an embankment to the right, but was thrown backward by a quick series of rough bumps caused by eight or ten cattle which lay there across the lines. When I poked myself up and leaped, some seconds before the impact, the speed must have considerably slackened. I received no fracture, but lay in semi-coma in a patch of yellow flowers on level ground, and was even conscious of a fire on the lines forty yards away, and, all the night, a vague thunder sounding from somewhere. About five or half-past in the morning I was sitting up rubbing my eyes in a dim light mixed with drizzle. I could see that the train of my last night's debauch was a huddled-up chaos of fallen carriages and disfigured bodies. A five-barred gate on my left opened into a hedge, and swung with creaks. Two yards from my feet lay a little shaggy pony with swollen wan abdomen, the very picture of death. About me a number of dead wet birds. I picked myself up, passed through the gate, and walked up a row of trees to a house at their end. I found it to be a little country tavern with a barn, forming one house, the barn part much larger than the tavern part. I went into the tavern by a small side door, behind the bar, into a parlour, up a little stair into two rooms, but no one was there. I then wound round into the barn, which was paved with cobblestones, and there lay a dead mare and foal, some fowls, with two cows. A ladder stair led to a closed trap-door in the floor above. I went up, and in the middle of the wilderness of hay I saw nine people, laborers, no doubt, five men and four women, huddled together. With them lay a tin pail containing the last of some spirit, so that these may have died merry. I slept three hours among them, and afterwards went back to the tavern, and had some biscuits, of which I opened a new tin, with some ham, jam and apples, of which I had made a good meal, for my pemmican was now gone. Afterwards I went following the rail track on foot, for the engines of both the collided trains were smashed. I knew northward from southward by the position of the sun. After a good many stoppages at houses, and by the railway banks, I came, at about eleven in the night, to a great and populous town. By the Dane John and the cathedral I immediately recognized it as Canterbury, which I knew quite well. I walked up Castle Street to the High Street, conscious for the first time of that regularly repeated sound, like a sob or groan, which was proceeding from my throat. As there was no visible moon, and these old streets very dim, I had to pick my way lest I should desecrate the dead with my foot, and they all should rise with hue and cry to haunt me. However, the bodies here were not numerous, most as before being foreigners. These, scattered about this strict old English burg that, that morning dark night, presented such a scene of baneful wrath of God, and all abomination of desolation, as broke me quite down at one place. I stood in travail with jeremiads, and sore sobbings and lamentations, crying out upon it all, God knows. Only when I stood at the west entrance of the cathedral, I could discern, spreading up the dark nave to the lantern, to the choir, a phantasmagorical mass of forms. I went a little inward, and striking three matches, peered nearer. The two transepts, too, seemed crowded. The cloister doorway was blocked. The southwest porch thronged. A great, great congregation must have flocked hither shortly before their fate overtook them. 
Here it was that I became definitely certain that the after-odor of the poison was not simply lingering in the air, but it was being more or less given off by the bodies. For the blossomy odor of this church actually overcame that other odor, the whole rather giving the scent of old moldy linens long embalmed in cedars. While away with stealthy trot I ran from the abysmal silence of that place, in Palace Street I made one of those sudden immoderate rackets that seemed to outrage the universe, and left me so woefully faint, decrepit, and gasping for life. The noise of the train was different, for there I was flying, but here a captive, and which way I ran was capture. Passing in Palace Street, I saw a little lamp shop, and wanting a lantern, tried to get in, but the door was locked. So after going a few steps, and kicking against a policeman's truncheon, I returned to break the window glass. I knew that it would make a fearful noise, and for some fifteen or twenty minutes stood hesitating. But never could I have dreamt, oh my God, of such a noise, so passionate, so dominant, so divulgent, and, oh heaven, so long-lasting. For I seemed to have struck upon the weak spot of some planet, which came suddenly tumbling, with protracted bellowing and debacle, about my ears. It was a good hour before I would climb in, but then quickly found what I wanted, and some big oil cans. Till one or two in the morning, the innovating flicker of my lantern went peering at random into the gloomy nooks of the town. Under a deep old Gothic arch that spanned a, a pavered alley, I saw the little window of a little house of rubble. Between the two diamond-paned sashes, rags tightly beaten in, the idea was evidently to make the place airtight against the poison. When I went in, I found the door of that room open, though it too, apparently, had been stuffed at the edges. On the threshold lay an old man and a woman. I conjectured that, thus protected, they had remained shut in, till either hunger or the lack of oxygen in the used-up air drove them forth, whereupon the poison, still active, must have instantly ended them. I found afterwards that this expedient of making air tight had been widely resorted to. It might well have proved successful, too, if both the supply of enclosed air and of food had been anywhere commensurate with the durability of the poisonous state. Weary, weary as I grew, some morbid persistence sustained me, and I would not rest. About four in the morning I was at a station again, industriously bending, poor wretch, at the sooty task of getting another engine ready for travel. This time, when steam was up, I succeeded in uncoupling the carriages from the engine, and by the time morning broke I was lightly gliding away over the country, whither I did not know, but making for London. Now I went with more intelligence and caution. I got on very well, travelling seven days, never at night except when it was very clear, never at more than twenty or twenty-five miles, and crawling through tunnels. I don't know the maze into which the train took me, for very soon after leaving Canterbury it must have gone down some branch line. Though the names were marked at stations, that hardly helped me, for of their situation relatively to London I was seldom sure. Moreover, again and again was my progress impeded by trains on the metals, when I would have to run back to a shunting point or a siding. In two instances, these being far behind, I changed from my own to the impeding engine. On the first day I travelled unhindered till noon, when I stopped in open country that seemed uninhabited for ages. Only half a mile to the left, on a shaded valley, was a large stone house of artistic design, coated with tinted harling, the roof of red rubon tiles, and timbered gables. I walked to it after another row with putting out the fire and arranging for a new one, the day being bright and mild, with great masses of white cloud in the sky. The house had an outer and an inner hall, three reception rooms, fine oil paintings, a kind of museum, and a large kitchen. 
in a bedroom above stairs i found three women with servants caps and a footman arranged in a strange symmetrical way head to head like rays of a star as i stood looking at them i could have sworn my good god that i heard someone coming up the stairs but it was some slight creaking of the breeze in the house augmented a hundredfold to my inflamed and fevered hearing for years now used to this silence of eternity it is as though i hear all sounds through an ear trumpet I went down, and after eating and drinking some clary water, made of brandy, sugar, cinnamon, and rose water, which I found in plenty, I lay down on a sofa in the inner hall, and slept a quiet sleep until near midnight. I went out then, still possessed with the foolish greed to reach London. After getting the engine to rights, I went off under a clear black sky, thronged with worlds and far-sown spawn, some of them, I thought, perhaps like this of mine, whelmed and drowned in oceans of silence with only one inhabitant to see it, and hear its silence. All the long night I travelled, stopping twice only, once to get the coal from an engine which had impeded me, and once to drink some water, which I took care, as always, should be running water. When I felt my head nod, and my eyes closed at about five a.m., I threw myself upon a grassy bank, pretty thick with stalks and flowers. The workings of early dawn being then in the east, I slept there till near eleven. On waking, I noticed that the country now seemed more like Surrey than Kent. There was that regular swell and sinking of the land, but in fact, though it must have been either, it looked like neither. Already all had an aspect of return to a state of wild nature. I could see that for a year at the least no one had tended the soil. Near before me was a stretch of lucerne of such extraordinary growth that I was led during that day and the succeeding one to examine the condition of vegetation with some minuteness. Nearly everywhere I detected a certain hypertrophy, tendency in stamens, pericarps and pistils, in every sort of bulbariferous growth that I looked at. In the rushes, above all, the fronds, mosses, lichens, and in the trefoils, clover especially, and some creepers. Many crop fields, it was clear, had been prepared but not sown. Some had not been reaped, and in both cases I was struck with their appearance of rankness, as I was also when in Norway. I was all the more surprised that this should be the case at a time when a poison, whose action is the arrest of oxidation, had traversed the earth. I could only conclude that its presence in large volumes in the lower strata of the atmosphere I had, I had, been, more, had been more or less temporary. The tendency to exuberance which I observed was due to some principle by which nature acts with freer energy and larger scope in the absence of man. Two yards from the rails I saw, when I got up, a little rill beside a rotten piece of fence barely oozing itself onward under masses of foul and stagnant fungoids. And here there was a sudden splash, and life. I caught sight of the hind legs of a diving young frog. I went and lay on my belly, poring over the clear, dulcet little water, and presently saw two tiny bleaks, or ablets, go gliding low among the swaying moss-hair of the bottom rocks. I thought how gladly would I be one of them, with my home so thatched and shady, and my life drowned in their wide-eyed reverie. At any rate, these little creatures are alive, and as I found the next day, pupa and chrysales of one sort or another, to my deep emotion I saw a little white butterfly staggering in the air over the flower garden of a rustic station named Butley. It was while I was lying there, pouring upon that streamlet, that a thought came into my head, for I said to myself, If now I be here alone, 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 one on the earth, and my girth have a spread of twenty-five thousand miles. What will happen to my mind? Into what kind of creature shall I writhe and change? 
I may live two years so. What will have happened then? I may live five years. Ten. What will have happened after the five, the ten? I may live twenty, thirty, forty. Already, already, there are things that peep and sprout within me. End of section ten. Recording by Graham McMillan, San Diego, California.